Welcome to Real Money Talks. Real strategies from the money makers and the world changers that you can use to make millions, keep those millions, multiply your wealth, and build your team. Here's your host, author of five New York Times bestsellers, money expert on Dr. Phil, CNN, CNBC, The Street TV, Fox News, and The View, Laurel Langmire. Hi, this is Laurel, and you're back on Laurel's Real Money Talks, a podcast where we talk about how to make money, how to keep money, how to invest it, how to do it with the team, and strategies for you to implement immediately. Today, I have an amazing guest on. Alicia's with me today. She's a mortgage extraordinaire. She knows more about financing and mortgage than uh, I think I've talked to anybody in a long time. And we're going to have a conversation with her. So, uh, Alicia, welcome to Laurel's Real Money Talks. Thanks, Laurel. So happy to be here. So great to have you. So talk a little bit about your background. Like, how did you arrive at this genius conversation that we're going to have? And it's not just on mortgage. We're going to talk about real estate, the real estate market, and get into that. But share your background a little bit. So I started in sales about a quarter century ago. (laughs) 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 And uh, I started real estate investing on the side. And I just found that I loved it. I love the concept of cash flow investing and making money. And I transitioned over to the mortgage industry about 15 years ago. And I love to help people save money and make money. And so I've uh, run teams. I've purchased, bought, and sold real estate, just everything from cash flow investing to notes. And uh, it's been very lucrative for me. I always joke that real estate is not for the faint of heart. Because there are definitely <laughs> right? But if you always plan for worst case scenario and a downside, which I don't think it's any surprise that there might be some of that coming up. But if you plan for worst case scenario and you're comfortable with that and you end up with that or the best case scenario when you invest, you can make money hand over fist. So talk a little bit about the real estate market. It's, I should say it's a new fresh subject, but it's the first time probably in the last few months that we're really hearing, I think the truth about the real estate market and do you feel like we're in a declining market? Where do you think we are right now? Well, I think we're long overdue for a market correction. You know, the dip, if you look at the cycles for the past few decades, every eight to 12 years, there's a downswing. I think the great news now is that it's a slow decline. They've done markers based on sales price and volume across the country. And it looks like that started in March is what we're seeing. So. The great news is it's not a big, huge crash so far, like we saw last time. It's interesting. I think people have already forgotten about that. We definitely see some people jumping into the market, and there are investors buying right now. So it's a very interesting time. Summer is one of the busier seasons in the mortgage industry, which I've been originating for 15 years now. And you know we're still chugging along. And most of the people in the industry that I speak with are actually up. January, you know, year date this year versus last year. So that's still an interesting, healthy scenario. I think we've also, we're going to start to see a little squeeze out of people in the profession that maybe shouldn't be here, if you will. <laughs> like when you say it's in a decline started in March, speak a little more to the specifics. Is it different regions? Is it different areas? Is it going to be across the board? Speak a little more to that and then what it's going to mean for buyers and sellers. Yes. So thank you. So. There are definitely pockets, like for example, Seattle, Washington is on fire. They are not experiencing any kind of decline. However, even big cities like New York have seen a slowing 
So when we say volume, we're talking about closed transactions. So less transactions being closed. So that's on the for purchases. And that's happening across the board. So since March, they've looked at that as a slowdown. And then also, in addition, not only less volume, so less transactions happening, but also the average sales price is starting to decline. And last year, I mean, it was crazy. I had first-time home buyers calling me, waiting outside a house because there was eight other people in line to look at the house, asking for their pre-approval letter to be sent over so they could make an offer. So it was that crazy last year, the end of last summer, people trying to get in before the school year started. And then even as recent, I would say, as I still see, uh, you know, Florida is in a little bit of a protected space due to the tax laws here and the changes in the federal tax laws. But even this spring, I saw people in 18 other offers competing to get a house. And that does vary on price point. But overall, there's less transactions and we are seeing that average sales price start to decline. I know. So what is it going to mean for the real estate investors? I mean, so you got your retail buyers, sellers. What about the investors? I shouldn't say what advice are you giving them, but what are you seeing with them? Well, so it's interesting. I see a lot of investors jumping in the market, new investors. And people like that definitely need guidance from people like you. You know, they need a system. They need... So, for example, I have investors that have a minimum that they want to make on multi-units, a per-door cash flow minimum, and they're breaking their own rules and closing on deals that have less than their minimum cash flow. So, I think it's super... There's still great deals out there. There always be great deals if you know how to buy, when to buy. And when to sell, obviously, you know, it's it's impossible to time the market. But if you look at, you know, what's still available, there are still great properties that cash flow that are available. So I think from an investor standpoint, if you have your business model and your goals of what you want to, you know, the cash that you have available, the cash flow you want to make per door or per unit, however, you know, everybody calls it different things. And people do different things for their return on investment versus cash on cash return. But whatever your system is, there's different ones. And again, I defer to your systems for those. But stick to your system. Don't just feel like you're making so much money because the economy is still strong. It's very strong. Because you're making so much money, don't get antsy and just throw it at a deal because it's available. You know, really stick to your guns and what your goals are and then execute on those. So we talk a lot about money rules just in our whole conversation. So what are some money rules that you see frequently are broke by investors, just buyers in general, right? Or even sellers. Just when you look at the spectrum, you probably point to things and say, you know, I see it all the time and it's really bad decision making. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's interesting. So the one I just mentioned is one that I see with investors going on quite a bit right now, which just blows me away because they know better. But it's interesting because when people have a lot of cash, if you're not used to having a big pile of cash, you feel anxiety and you feel like you have to do something with it, right? So you throw it here in the stock market or you throw it there in real estate without really having a plan. So that's definitely one that just you know happens by human nature. But the other ones are, you know, we're not taught how to do a budget or balance a checkbook in high school or college. That's why people need courses like yours because there's no sense of discipline. For that, And people really need to learn 
So make a budget. And I like to call it a financial freedom plan because budget is kind of just ew, right? But financial freedom plan, that's exciting. And, you know, people like that. So people need to figure out what that is for them. They need to have a plan for retirement. So I see so many people not sticking to a financial freedom plan. I see so many people not saving for retirement. And there's such amazing opportunities now between emerging markets, Bitcoin, real estate. There are so many amazing cash flow opportunities that people can invest in now. They just really need to do their due diligence and have a plan and execute it because otherwise they're just throwing money away. People are over budget. They don't have money for retirement. I see that all the time. And people live above their means. That's a huge problem. I mean, how many flat screens can you have in your house versus I want to be able to not work tomorrow? It's a trade-off always. Yeah, but it's interesting on the decision-making. Now let's talk and switch over to mortgages a little bit. So how does someone pick a mortgage that's right for them? Because again, I don't think there's a lot of real clear education and I think there's a lot of guessing for a lot of folks in how to pick a mortgage. There is. So there's just a few basic mortgage programs when it really comes down to it. There's government loans and there's conventional. And I'm in the trenches with my team every day on this. I love to help people save money. So we really take a full loan application, go through and then, you know, offer the borrower the different options and then help them figure out, they figure out what's right for them based on down payment, monthly payment, and then how long they plan on being in the house and what their purpose is. So I think there's a lot of important conversation that should happen based on what the borrower's needs are. So for example, is this your first house? Are you upsizing? Are you downsizing? Are you planning on growing your family? Do you move a lot for work? Can you work from anywhere? Do you really love the city you're considering buying in? Because there's a lot of costs associated with buying a home and maintaining a home that definitely should be considered. I think it's one of the best investments. It's helped make me financially free. So I love real estate. But I think that people just don't ask enough questions and don't do enough due diligence. There's so many different things. So I think figuring out the best mortgage is really a matter of doing a full loan application and having a licensed loan officer who's skilled and knows what they're doing go over all the pros and cons of each mortgage. One of the things that happened a couple of years ago is that FHA now has mortgage insurance for the life of the loan. So if you do an FHA loan, not only do you have an upfront funding fee of 1.75% added to your loan, but you also have mortgage insurance for the life alone, whether you put down the minimum of 3.5% to get in the house or 50% equity, you have mortgage insurance for that FHA loan. And people don't realize that. So they have to do their due diligence and, and find somebody who's responsible to help them. And how much does credit impact their ability to get a mortgage? It's interesting because credit, it's critical to interest rate. Credit score definitely drives interest rate. But what you do and how you spend your credit affects how much you can qualify for and also the variance of loan programs you qualify for. And not only the interest rate, but in terms of monthly payment, credit can impact how much you pay for your mortgage insurance if you put down less than 20%. That's another whole number that people don't realize that that credit affects. And the other thing is credit just, it can affect everything because it'll make your auto loan higher. It'll make your credit card rates higher. So it's critical to look at your credit. And it's a fluid thing. Credit can be fixed. It's not set in stone. If you have bad credit now, you can work on your credit and have great credit in 12 months, depending on what your circumstances are, of course. Exactly. 
talk a little bit about credit impacting just the opportunity for overall, you know, wealth, you know, I call it generational wealth, right? Yeah. So it's a great question. So, you know, if you have a great credit score, you're going to have more access to money at a lower interest rate. And that is across the board. So again, that's for mortgages, mortgage insurance, auto loans, credit cards, lines of credit, installment loans, all those things have interest rates tied to them that are derived by your credit. And if you have a poor credit history, you don't pay on time or you sort of spend, you know, beyond your means. If your credit limit on your credit card is 10 grand and you're at 11 grand, that's going to negatively impact your credit. And it's just important to not spend more than you can afford and to pay your bills on time every single month. And if you make a mistake, we're all human, right? But if you make a mistake, just get right back on the bandwagon and pay it on time next month. I mean, you know, there's lots of unforeseen circumstances that people run into. Again, important to stay on task and be focused. And what's your recommendation just on down payments? Again, I know there's money rules. And again, just for the education of the listeners, what advice do you give around to that? Is it, you know, I say 20% down. I know a lot of investors like the 5 and 10% down. So speak to the pros and cons of the different down payments and what it does to the overall investment. Sure. So for investors, I definitely think that's a function of what your plan is, right? So if your plan is to use as little of cash out of pocket and get that cash flow cranking, you want that cash machine cranking, then the lower the down payment, the better for you. As long as the numbers work for your cash flow and what your you know minimum goals are when you consider everything, I think that's super important. And, you know, but again, you can put down as much as you want. It's whether, you know, you want to own everything free and clear and you have the cash and, you know, it depends where the market is. But the great thing about mortgages and buying real estate is it's an amazing opportunity to leverage. You know, you don't really need much money to get in the door and have a check in your bank account every month coming back to you on an investment property. So talk a little bit about, I'm going to switch gears to another kind of category in the mortgage. We really haven't talked about it a lot, but I'm going to call it, uh, there's an older generation, right? They're being pitched reverse mortgages. And just thinking about all my clients and the different kinds of clients, that's a more frequently asked question uh, in this conversation. So what would you say about reverse mortgages? So I think any mortgage is a really personal decision and it should be discussed within the immediate family. And there's pros and cons to everything. I think uh, overall, reverse mortgages are not bad. I think depends on what other wealth is available in that family. So, you know, if people don't have a retirement plan and their house is paid for, or they have at least 60% equity to do that reverse mortgage, then it makes sense to have that cash flow. The nice thing about reverse mortgages, there are actually a few interesting features. So one, the borrower actually has to take an education class on reverse mortgages before they can even apply for a reverse mortgage. So I think that's a really positive thing that's in place. The other side of that is they can get a lump sum out of the equity in their house or a monthly payment or a combination of both. So, I mean, if you have parents, for example, or you're retired and you haven't planned appropriately, unfortunately, or, you know, negative circumstances, it's better than eating cat food. That's for sure. Because the other part of that is, let's face it, it's not, you know, we're a very mobile society. So I don't want my parents' house. And if I don't have to deal with the estate and it just goes back to the government because my parents did a reverse mortgage and it helped them live, that's great. You know, it's there's a lot of emotion tied up there when you have to settle an estate. So I think, again, it's a personal decision, but 
I think, you know, for the right opportunity, it definitely can help people. Absolutely. Let's just talk about leverage in general. So I love leverage. I love good debt. I love first lane positions. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So let's kind of break that into several categories. So first of all, is there a maximum that one person could get a mortgage as far as their own credit and their credit worthiness as they're looking at using leverage to buy a variety of properties? So it's interesting because this changes based on our economy and how kind of loosey-goosey the mortgage regulations are. So when I first got in the business in 2003, you could have up to, there were programs where you could have 20 mortgages and then all programs, alternative programs where you could have over 40 traditionally, right? Before you had to go to an alternate lender or hard money lender. And then past years when we saw a bit of a downturn, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac really tightened those up. So they were pretty specific on a cap of 10 overall, and you could only do a certain amount of cash outs. And and now we're right back up to 10 and 20 mortgages. So the economy is definitely poised and ripe for investors to take advantage of leveraging right now. It's a very interesting scenario. So speak more to that because you spoke to like some new regulations. So just detail that a little bit more. Sure, sure. So it used to be that people were capped at 10 mortgages overall, and now we're back up to 20. So really, in a single person's name, you could have 20 mortgages in your name and still get pretty decent interest rates. So in the five, mid to high five ranges right now, which I think is a phenomenal deal. So let's say you have a married couple. You can actually, each of you could have 20 mortgages, so you could leverage on 40 investment properties if you wanted to, if you qualified. I mean, obviously, you have to still do the down payment, and that's traditional. And then, of course, there's lots of hard money lenders out there right now, which offer, you know, rates to six, seven, eight, nine, and, you know, they go up from there, depending on what the credit score and circumstances and down payment are. But I think the fact that you can get a traditional type mortgage with decent rates in the fives right now is phenomenal. And if you had a couple, again, each couple can have 20 mortgages. So that's 40 properties you could leverage. I mean, you could build a heck of a cash machine with that. Absolutely. Talk a little bit about IRA money. Are you seeing people, uh, self-direct IRAs, use that kind of capital? And what are the pros and cons in your opinion of that? I mean, we use it a lot. We were huge pros of that. But what are you seeing just in the general market? It's interesting because more on the mortgage side, we don't see that. I think it's a great opportunity and people don't do enough of it. I think, you know, anytime you can build wealth in a tax deferred vehicle, it's a great opportunity. That money isn't available to later and it's just building and you're not paying taxes on it. And I think it's a phenomenal opportunity to invest in real estate and other cash flow. And people just, I think for the most part, the general population doesn't know enough about it. They can be intimidated by it and just don't have the guidance or have the time to do the due diligence to realize how much money it can really save them over the long term. Yeah, I would agree. So, Alicia, any final words of wisdom? Um, I want to have you back. We're going to continue our conversation with several folks. Those of you that are uh, new listeners to the Laurel's Real Money Talk podcast is we have several conversations that we keep repeating the tax reform of 2018 is enormous. We've had three different guests on and uh, several of them back uh, many times to talk about what it means to you and corporate structure. And some of the new tax reform affects this conversation we're having with Alicia. So uh, make sure that you stay tuned. Go to asklaurel.com. 
you can ask a question, make a request. If you'd like a conversation with Alicia personally, have her uh, coach you through some of your mortgage questions that you have. Just again, go to Ask Laurel at asklaurel.com. And there's a input screen for you to put your name, phone number, email, and make a request of what you're wanting. So Alicia, any final words to uh, our listeners for today? And uh, I'm going to guide that question towards what I just mentioned, specifically the tax reform of 18. Are you seeing that affect you, the markets, the investors making different decisions? I don't think people have really dug into it enough to see the true benefits for them. Again, I think people are slightly overwhelmed with so much information. I think it does help several states be a little bit more insulated, if you will, from a real estate decline because of the change, because of the the price points of where you can uh, write off deductions for mortgages. I think uh, Florida is one of the states that will see a benefit from that. And that could be one of the reasons why we're seeing a little bit less of a slowdown here. I just think the more people can educate and empower themselves, the easier things will be moving forward. I would agree. So, Alicia, thank you for joining. Those of you that have been listening to Laurel's Real Money Talks, we'll be back again next week. Same time, same channel. If you enjoy these podcasts, please pass it on through iTunes or your app store. And Alicia, have a great day. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Real Money Talks podcast. Your host has been Laurel Langmire, author of five New York Times bestsellers, money expert on Dr. Phil, CNN, CNBC, The Street TV, Fox News, and The View. Want to learn more about off-Wall Street investing, tax strategies, and multi-million dollar business strategies? Visit liveoutloud.com slash podcast for past episodes, show notes, and resources. For some special wealth building gifts only for Laurel's podcast listeners, visit liveoutloud.com slash podcast gifts. Do you have a burning question for Laurel? Visit asklaurel.com to submit your question, and it may just be covered on a podcast episode. So stay tuned and be sure to subscribe to get new episodes every week. Oh, 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 oh,